Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I want to start by wishing a very, very happy birthday to my dad, the person who introduced me to tennis all those many, many years ago. Happy birthday, Daddy. Looking forward to celebrating with you. Now, I want to just give you a quick reminder, if you are not a premium member of Parenting Aces, we'd love to have you come join us. Just go to ParentingAces.com and click on the Join button. Simple as that. And you get access to our website, our podcasts, our socials, and consults with me. So love to have you become part of our family if you're not already. This week, I have Todd Whittem back on the podcast. What would Parenting Aces podcast be without Coach Todd Whittem? So I'm excited to have him on. We are going to be talking talent ID and what that means truly for junior tennis players and for parents out there. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Coach Todd Whittem. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Good morning, Todd. I am so excited to have you back on the podcast. What would a season be without a Todd Whittem conversation early on? Well, thanks, Lisa, for having me once again. How many seasons is this? This is season 12. And oh, I think your, your audio is glitching, or maybe my audio is glitching. Nope. I, are you there? I hear you. Yep. Oh, there Can you, you are. Me? Okay. Yeah. Something just happened, but now we're all good. So anyway, okay. I was saying it's great to have you back and yeah, it's season 12. Can you believe it? That's incredible. Oh, I know. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I think you've been coming on since what season nine, maybe eight. I don't know. I'll have to look I back. Think, I think before that, maybe. We'd have to look back. Oh, your audio's glitching again, Todd. I started writing articles for you years ago. So that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I don't know where you went, but how is that? Are we doing better? Yeah, we're doing better. We're doing better. So okay. let's jump right into this because it's a crazy day for you. I know it's a Friday that we're recording this. It's a crazy day for me. I'm traveling for my dad's birthday. And um, I want to oh, just nice. jump right in. One of the guys that trains with you pretty regularly, Sun Wukwan, has just had 
an amazing start to the year. And our listeners hopefully were part of the episode where Daniel was on with us and we talked about Sun Wu's training and his background. But one of the things I think is so interesting is, you know, we're looking at this guy who seemingly is making like this sudden push and doing really well. But those of us in tennis understand that there's nothing sudden about success in tennis. It's a process. And so I thought it would be interesting to kind of get your perspective on how Sun Wu started out in the sport and talk about the whole concept of talent ID and the mistakes that can be made when talent ID is implemented too early in the developmental process for a player. So why don't you give us a little bit of Sun Wu's backstory? Yeah, sure. So Sun Wu, you know, he was not the most highly touted junior coming out of Korea, right? From what Daniel told me, um, he was good, but he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, they're really their top prospect, right. Or prospects. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many times what you see with, with great developing players, whether they're going to become really high level college players or maybe high level professional players is that they were a little bit, you know, they weren't really, there wasn't a lot of focus on them early on, right? There wasn't pressure put on them. They just kept working at it and developing, and they were in a very good situation. Soon Wu, it's, it's pretty interesting, is that he was noticed by someone from the ITF when he was in the latter stages of his junior career. Mm. And, and that gentleman said, this guy is going to be good someone needs to really pay attention to this guy. So that gentleman at the ITF, he knew what he was looking at. And so, but, you know, but that, this is like you said, the later stages of his junior career. So what, correct. 16, 17? Yes. Absolutely. Around there? there were other Korean players that were winning some of the biggest junior events in the world. Right. And, and then you have another gentleman, Young Chung, that many of you know, that made semifinals of the Australian open. Yeah. Soon Wu Kwan is the only South Korean right now inside the top 250 in the world, right? There's wow. another gentleman um, by the name of Seong Hong Chong, who is, uh, who actually came to train with, with, uh, with Soon Woo in December and they're really good friends. Those are the top two Koreans on the, on the, on the tour. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, in, ter in terms of Soon Woo, I mean, you know, if, if, you know, depending, you know, if, if your viewers have been watching ATP tennis, you know, the first week of the year, he beats Dominic team, right? Then the second week, he actually loses in the last round of qualifying. And keep in mind, he's, I believe, 82 or 83 in the world. So he, he gets in lucky loser and actually draws the first guy. The first round match is the guy that he lost to in qualifying. Mm. And he beats him and he ends up beating Corena Busta, Rebecca. Uh, Roberto Batista Agut, those are two former top 10 players, and he goes on to win the title. I didn't sleep for a whole week because I was up all night long watching his <laughs> matches. My students and parents probably know this, and so I really appreciate what doctors do when they're pulling all-nighters and everything because I was in my bed you know, watching tennis and, and, then, and then talking to Coach Daniel Yu, who I'm very close with, um, and it was super exciting. So he is now the only... South Korean 
in the history of tennis for that country to win two ATP titles and both titles are under coach Daniel Yu. Amazing. So that, that, that's super exciting. But going back to the upbringing of junior players, you know, what, what you look at is, you know, and, and the thing that, that was interesting when I was coming through is that you look for players that aren't capped, right? And, and what does that mean? That means that they can keep progressing. That's, that's what made, you know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, every year they kept getting better when you're like, how can this keep happening? But at, but at a young age, you look to see, you know, are these players capped fundamentally? Did they get off to good starts? Do they have a good foundation? Parenting, parenting aces, right? Parenting, is it solid or is it not stable, right? How are the parents handling the successes? And then the, and then the times that aren't so great for that junior player, do the, do the parents, the coach, the coaching and the student have, have long-term development in their mind, or are they just short-term right? Oriented. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can tell you a story. One of the first students I had was probably the best 12 and under player in the world. Right. This kid was incredible. And, and the other coaches would come to me and, and they would ask me and, or tell me and say, this kid is going to be an unbelievable professional player. Every generation has these kids. Right. And, and I would turn to them and, and quite frankly, I said, no, he's not. Hmm. And, 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 and they would look at me in a, in a state of shock. What do you mean? He's winning all the biggest titles in the world. And it's not to be negative. I just had an understanding on how the parenting was the mentality of the student and too much success at a young age. The parents were definitely crazy. Let's just call it what it is. Right. The kid was thrown around too much coaching and everything. It was unstable. But at 12 and unders, everything was looking fantastic and everything. But when you look at the whole package and the whole situation and long term, if it's sustainable, many times it isn't. Right. So, you know, I always thought that, you know, if it's a company like Nike or Adidas or one of these amazing companies, they, you know, or agents. Right. They should have Mm -hmm. someone that is really you know, really in tune to looking at, you know, who would be a great prospect for that company to sign, right? Or mm-hmm. if it's college coaching, right? That, you know, a particular player for four years of a commitment to that university, right? And so, you know, these are very good, you know, very, very good things to understand, but you right. need what I would call experts in, 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 in that field. But going back to junior development, it's about development over years, right? But right. the start, the, the the start for many junior players is already rocky, right? We we had in my system a whole bunch of kids that we assessed that were 10 or 12 years old. And unfortunately, and the parents, they know this, they're already off to bad habits. Right. You know, and, and so right then and there, already at 10 or 12 years old, someone needs to fix that so that later on you know, these, these, you know, young, young players can, can, can really take off and work on other things. And you're not working on foundational issues, you know, by the time they should be solid at what, say 13 or 14 years old at at the latest. Right. And so, you know, talent ID, right. Talent ID. It's tricky. Okay. Number one, it's tricky, right? There are guys that I played with on tour that I was surprised and, and had a very good career at professional tennis, right? Where I didn't think that they were that great or, 
Maybe they didn't have the best work ethic. Maybe they weren't mentally, you know, the strongest, maybe physically they weren't the best athletes, but they really came into their own, you know, not something that the parents want, but you never know when that player is going to mature and when they're going to come into their own, right? You can never tell how good a player is going to be until those things happen. Right. Well, and, and to your point, I mean, it's not just about the physical development and, you know, the technical skills, but it's also about whether or not they are willing and able to commit to the type of training and the long-term investment in skill development in whether that's mental or physical um, and, and really, you know, work toward that end goal of having success either as a college athlete or as a professional athlete. And interestingly, Todd, I was just talking to a friend of mine whose son was beating in the juniors, a player who is now finding success on the professional tour and beating, beating this guy regularly. And we were talking about, you know, the fact that this guy wasn't a great junior, but he wanted to make that commitment to become a professional tennis player and to be successful, whereas her son really didn't want that pathway, didn't want to make that right. commitment. He had every bit as much talent at a, you know, in the junior years, but didn't really want the professional tennis life and lifestyle. And so there's so many different facets to this beyond just whether or not somebody's good at hitting a ball. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that's true. I mean, you know, in, in the 12 years that I've been doing this, whether it's myself or, or Pierre, you know, assessing students, one of the first things that, 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 that we look at is really the mentality of that student right? Anybody can fix strokes and swings and grips and, you know, those types of things. But what is between your ears is what's going to separate yourself from, from other players, right? And you, know, you, they're, can't, you, know, they're, you they're can't do that for somebody. As a coach, right. you can't make somebody want it. As a parent, you can't make your child want this. You can right. make them go out and take a lesson. You can make them play tournaments, but you can't make them have the heart and the desire and, you know, that internal motivation, that intrinsic motivation to yeah. keep plugging away, grinding day after day, year after year. Yeah. You know, as a coach, you need to understand the student and understand how to get in their head and understand how to challenge them and motivate them. And, and there are certain tricks to the trade that, that you can, that you can do to yeah. get the most out of that student, right? There are some kids that, you know, thrive in, in certain different types of drills or arenas or competitiveness or non-competitive, you know? So, you know, as a coach, you need to understand your student. Now, if we're talking about masses of kids, yeah, okay, right. Let's not talk about that. Right. But if right. you have a system that's very small, like mine, we're assessing that all the time. Right. But we're also assessing what happens off the court, yeah. how the parents handle their children. What's the previous coaching, right. You know, and so there's a lot of things that, that you assess, but going back to talent ID, you have coaches 
that are telling parents that your child is going to be this, they're going to be that, they're going to be the next, this one, that one. I would run for the hills if someone <laughs> gives you run. All right, listen to me, run, because there is no one that has a crystal ball that knows what your child is going to do at a certain age, whether it's 16, 18, 20, 22, 25 years old. If you would have told me Sun Kwan was going to be a lucky loser and win an ATP title, another ATP title, coming through, right, after losing and, and being the only guy from Korea to win two ATP titles, and it was going to happen this early in the year, I'd say very, very unlikely. Yeah. Right. And, and I knew that these next six months were going to be very important for him because he didn't have a great six months to start the year. So I'm, I'm really like watching and seeing how it's going. And it already happened in the second week of the year. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, no one has that crystal ball coaches that are making parents happy. And, you know, your child is going to be the next this and the next that. And, you know, it's 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 not good. Right. But- you know, Todd, on top of just the desire and the talent that it takes to be successful, there's a lot of luck involved in terms of staying injury free, staying healthy, um, you know, making sure that you're scheduling everything properly. And, and there is a science partially to that, but, but a lot of that's luck too, because you get to a tournament and, you have no idea. You go in hoping you're going to be there from start to finish, but sometimes you lose early. Sometimes you make it to the end. You never know. And so then you have to balance all the other pieces of your life. I, I just feel like, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot, but there are some finite things that need to be put into place to help ensure that the player reaches whatever level they strive to reach in a timely manner so that it makes sense to keep going and keep going and keep going. But we look at players, I mean, for instance, look at what happened to Nadal in the Australian Open. Like, he should have won that match against Mackie McDonald. I love Mackie and he's a talented guy and he's one of the hardest workers I know. But Rafa should have won that match. He was the favorite by far. But he has this injury that, you know, throws him off. And this isn't the first time it's happened for him. Luckily, he's got the the finances to support a team to, to get him healthy quickly and back out there. But not everybody has that. Um, there are other issues that can come up. I mean, Djokovic early in his career had issues with his asthma that would affect him during matches. And until he learned how to manage that properly, he was going out early in tournaments. So I I just feel like it's important for parents to understand, you know, we always say control the controllables. What are the controllables in junior tennis? The controllables, in my opinion, and, and I want your opinion on this, of course, Todd, first of all, having a good coach. Second of all, having you know, the financial means to pay for equipment, pay for lessons, pay for tournaments, whether it's your own finances or getting sponsors or support from somewhere else. Um, And really, as a parent, that's pretty much all you can control. (laughs) Right, right. You know, 
number one, find the best coach for your child. Right. And, and we, we, we assessed a whole bunch of students, you know, over the holidays. Main concern was that how are we going to be able to keep working on these fundamentals for my child? And, you know, where am I going to find a coach that is going to be able to do this and put the proper time and effort into my child? So I am helping some, some families with that, but it's, but it's not easy. Right. And, and, you know, to, to find someone great and, and also put the proper time and effort in um, that, that is not easy. And, you know, you're also dealing with a small percentage of players that really want to, you know, take their tennis to the highest level that they can. Right. I mean, most of the tennis in America is not about producing, you know, the next, you know, Francis TFO or, you know, Sebastian Corda, you know, or, or, or nice college player. It's really more about the masses and recreational tennis and, and, you know, country clubs and, you know, groups and lessons that that's, you know, and that's what the USTA does. Right. You know, people always talk about, Oh, American tennis and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But USTA is to, to promote the game of tennis, you know, and get the masses into tennis. Right. And then hopefully you have the next Riley Opelka, the next Sebastian Corda, the next Francis TFO, the Taylor Fritz, you know, these players that are, you know, playing tremendous tennis and, you know, that are doing a great, Coco Goff, a great job. Daniel Collins, Jesse yeah, Pagula. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, you know, the Americans are, are doing, you know, really well, but also keep in mind, that if we're speaking about federations, these federations spend millions and millions of dollars on certain prospects, and many of them don't make it. Right. Right. For a whole host of reasons. Right. So, and I so saw point here, being, point being, even the experts in talent ID get it wrong more often than they get it right. Correct. Absolutely. Right. That is that is the reality of of the, you know, of tennis. Right. You know, that's that's yeah. just what it is. Just because you have, you know, the U.S. Open junior champion and the Wimbledon junior champion at the end of the day, if we're talking about professional tennis, it means nothing. All of these players that you see on TV, male or female, were the best in their country yeah. or one of the top in their country. And there are so many that don't pan out on the professional tour. Right. And so, you know, and, and there's a whole host of reasons. And for what, you know, what you said, luck is a big determining factor of why and how some of these players have a sustainable, great career. Right. Well, I want to talk about the desire and the role that plays for the player, him or herself, as they go through the junior development process. And I want to I want to kind of take a step back and understand how parents can foster that desire and how they can interfere with that desire and you know kind of put a jinx on on their child who's trying to to do something great. So yeah. can you can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in in the players you've worked with who came in maybe as not the best, not the most talented, not the most naturally gifted, but who had the desire to push beyond their physical limits and maybe even their mental limits 
to reach a level that you never in a million years would have expected from them. Absolutely. You know, my business you're glitching again, Todd. As many of you know, taking on a 15 to 18 year old student that probably, oh, sorry. Yeah. Is that better? Yes. Is that better right there? Yes. Can you, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, you know, my business started, you know, with, you know, a 15 to 18 year old student that maybe wasn't doing well. Right. And so I needed to spend a lot of time with that student. There was foundational issues and, you know, all kinds of stuff that needed to be tweaked or fixed for them to go off to a great college. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, in, in, in terms of, of, of that, you know, you, you have to put in a lot of time and effort. Now, when we're talking about, you know, what, what you spoke about, which was, you know, the parents and, and what, and what they can do, right. Is, is that what you were asking before? Well, you know, more, more, you know, talking about when, when the player, him or herself has that desire, even though the natural abilities may not be obvious to you as the coach. Sure. You know, the most important thing are the six inches between your ears. There are kids that can really do a lot with their tennis based on just will and work ethic, right? There are players that you're seeing on TV at the Australian Open that are not the most gifted athletes, but they're very smart. They understand the game and they know how to win. In terms of what parents can do, and and I actually have had this discussion with Pierre you know, recently was, you know, I used to see him working with kids that were really top, right? Top players in the world and everything. And he, we would talk about how they were, you know, maybe mismanaged or there was just too much pressure on these young players and they just cracked. They couldn't handle it. Right. It was just too much because I would see Pierre working with, you know, they're the best in the world. Right. And you're seeing how great they are at 12, 14 years old, but the parents didn't handle it well. And there was a lot of pressure and there were maybe sponsors, you know, clothing sponsors, whatever it is, contracts and all this stuff. And the players just could not handle that. And so they're just not going to last in the game. But what about the opposite case where they're not the most talented, but they've got that balance of, you know, the parents are supporting them, but not, you know, totally immersed in the process. The kid really wants it, is willing to come out day after day after day and do whatever it takes to get to their highest level. And, you know, physically, they may not be the biggest kid. Um, They may not be the quickest kid. They may not have the most beautiful strokes. But because they have that work ethic and that desire and that drive to be the best, they're able to overcome some of those other issues. And with the parents behind them, supporting them, but not pushing them, not adding pressure, but rather doing everything to dissipate the pressure that kid can come through and find success. And, and again, I go back to Sun Wu. I mean, he has the talent, no question, but there's something besides just his ability to hit tennis balls 
that has gotten him to this place. I mean, when you come out of qualies having lost and then get that opportunity as a lucky loser to find a way to capitalize on that and make a run all the way through the draw to hold the champions trophy at the end, that's something different. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, regardless of what you feel your child has, whether they're talented, maybe they're not, they're not that much talented, whatever it is, you're just trying to maximize the ability of that player. Right. And, right. and so, you know, that takes tremendous discipline and work ethic every single day. But, you know, what is that player really doing outside to even, you know, the extras, right? The extra training, the extra physical training, the extra body work, all these things, you know, are you checking all the boxes? And, you know, those are the things that we're teaching our students every single day. They're training very well and very hard with us, but what are you doing outside that's going to make a difference? What are you doing that is different than the rest of the kids around the world that you, you can now separate yourself from them? Right. And that's, that, that's very just, important. Right. Let me just jump in. That doesn't always have to be tennis related. It Correct. might be playing an instrument so that you give your brain and your body a break from tennis training and allow it to recover so that you can go back into training the next day, rejuvenated and ready to work hard. It may be going and hanging out with your friends and not talking about tennis at all. It may be taking a family vacation that has zero to do with tennis so that you can regroup and, you know, get yourself gassed back up to be ready to work hard and perform at your peak. So when you say doing those extras, I want the parents to understand that doesn't necessarily mean you need another coach, another sports psychologist, another mental training expert. It may mean providing opportunities for your kid to unplug from tennis, take that step back so that they come back to practice the next day ready to work. Absolutely right. You know, if you want to take Sunu Kwan as an example, right? So he well, he's started just such at, a good one. Yeah, he is, right? Because you're yeah. talking about a guy that's not six foot eight. He's, he's my height. He's like 5'10 or 5'11 and he is working, right? For all of you that maybe don't follow me on social media, you'll see, go, go take a look and see what he's doing, right? It is yeah. work and, and an amazing mentality and an amazing attitude. And now he's back to his career high ranking of 52 in the world. And I believe that he is going to make a huge jump in the next six months. He's already made the first jump. And it's going to be another big jump, right? And he's and he's a national hero. He got off the plane after Australia and Korea, and it was you know craziness, you know that uh, that their hero came back home with another title, right? But you know, in terms of Sun Wukong, when I when, you know I looked at some videos, you know, of him training when he first came at the end of November of 2020, that was when he first started with Daniel. And, and obviously I help out as well, you know, when they would like me to and everything, you know, this has been progressions in many areas of his game. Right. And, and, and not easy to be adding to your game because he was already a top hundred tennis player. I believe he was maybe in the nineties. Right. But going from 90 to 50, 
and then into the top 50 and beating guys top 20 in the world, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different level. So everything was assessed. He needed to change his mentality. He needed to change the way that he was going to approach matches, the way that, you know, um, tactically how he was going to be beating the best tennis players in the world. All these things what, what was, was a total package that needed to happen. And that took a couple years. Right. Right. And that, you know, that that's already a really top player in the world adding to his arsenal to, you know, continue to get better and to maintain, you know, to be on the ATP tour. So that's, what's really special is that he had the mentality and the mental toughness to not to get out of his comfort zone, to add things to his game. And if you really want to know, you know, I posted a video about, you know, him on, on social media, but I'll tell you briefly is that he is now uh, has adopted a game style where it is like an Andre Agassi or a Rublev or a Nikolai Davidenko of, I am going forward and I am attacking and I am bringing it to you on each ball. And, and he is now, he had flashes of that in the, in the past where maybe he wasn't winning matches and now he can maintain it and he believes he can maintain it. And that style of tennis, it flat out wins for him. And that's what's best for him. And the results are proving it. Well, you know, we talk about growth mindset. I mean, this is the epitome of growth mindset is, you know, you've already reached this very high level, but what can I do? What, what do I need to tweak to make the next jump and the next jump and the next jump after that and understanding that it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen over the course of a week or a month. It may take several years to actually reach your full potential, but being willing day after day after day after day to put the work in to stay focused and stay committed to reaching that level is what sets certain players apart. That's not to say that somebody that's not willing to make that commitment is less than, right? It's a choice. And it's a choice that, yes, parents can make somewhat in terms of whether or not they're willing to drive their kids to lessons and pay for things and take time off work. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the player themselves wanting to be the best they can be in this particular arena of tennis and being willing to sacrifice maybe other things that are important to achieve that goal. And again, this has to come from the player. And I, I just, I guess why I keep saying this is it, and you see this too all the time, Todd, there are parents out there who think they can do this for their kids. You cannot do this for your child. Your child has to do this for themselves. And you have to be the support system and you have to help manage everything, as you like to say, Todd, manage the process. But the child has to be the one making the decision every day about what type of effort they're willing to put in. Yes. And even before the child, you know, for, for the parents on Parenting Aces, one of the most important things is how much trust 
do you have in the individual that is working with your child or individuals? That is first and foremost, one of the most dangerous things. And I've said this to parents, right? Over the years, one, one of the toughest things is that parents are making decisions for their child, right? Their tennis and, and, and their well-being and everything. And usually the parents don't really have a background in tennis. Mm. So that, that is difficult, right? It's difficult right. From, 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 from my perspective as a coach, but I'm understanding about it, but they're making decisions about, you know, maybe something that they don't really know much about. Mm. So if there are, you know, if, if there are mistakes made throughout that, you know, particular junior's tennis career, it can be very, very hard to recover from that. Right. Well, you know, and so an, an adjunct to that, Todd, is modeling behaviors, right? So if a child sees the parent either questioning or contradicting things that the coach is teaching, then that causes doubt in the mind of the player too, and causes the player to lose trust in the coach. Not always, but I should say can yeah. cause the player to lose confidence. The other thing is, if you want your child to be the type of human that commits to something, that that it goes all in, that has that work ethic, model that behavior for them. Because oftentimes as parents, we feel so helpless. I'm telling you, you know, you can't make your child work hard. But what you can do as a parent is model the behaviors that you want to see reflected in your child. And we are, as parents, our children's first teachers and most extensive teachers in terms of their lives. So, you know, if you want as a parent to feel like you're contributing to your child's success, other than just paying a bill and or dr being the chauffeur, start thinking about behaviors that that you're doing that may or may not be fostering that drive, that commitment, that work ethic in your child and and make some tiny changes in yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, regardless of, of sports, right? I want my children to be good human beings. I want them to be respectful. I want them to show up on time. I pay attention to who says hi and good morning to me when I'm walking into the tennis facility. I pay attention to which kids are walking out without saying bye and thank you. Right. I pay attention to that. There was, you could talk to Pierre or another pro Bruce that works with me. I don't think there was one time where I didn't walk out and say, thanks so much. I'll see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, that, you know, we need to teach the kids the right way to do things. And I feel like I do that in my system as well, how to be respectful, how to act, how to have, you know, you know, the right communication, um, you know, all these other skills, you know, other than how well does that particular player hit the tennis ball? There, there's right. more to coaching than just wins and losses, right? I'm teaching yeah. kids outside of tennis, all kinds of things in my home if I'm housing them, right? You know, so, you know, to me, you're either going to do things the right way or you're not, right? And so as a coach, that's what I try to instill in, in the athletes that I train is 
if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And if we're not going to do it right, then we're done. And that's, well, that's how I operate. Well, and, and to your point, Todd, all of those different things reflect on the player's willingness to commit. If right. they're not willing to use, you know, very basic manners, if they're not willing to clear their dishes off the dinner table, if they're not willing to pick up their room, how do you think they're going to be when it comes to committing to working hard in practice every day and doing the extras that it takes to become great at, at something? So. I, I think, you know, yes, it's awesome that you as a coach are, are teaching those things, but all of that should be starting at home with the parents and parents having the expectation that my child is going to be a contributing member of our household. And it's got to be age appropriate. Of course, I'm not saying a six-year-old needs to be doing laundry and cooking meals, but there are things that we as parents can teach our children to set them up to understand what it takes to be successful in life. And, you know, I, I finding a coach that supports that and, and reinforces that is huge. There aren't a lot of coaches like you, Todd, that are willing to, to go that extra mile, but there are coaches out there. So, I would say that's maybe another thing for parents to take a look at, you know, when they're looking for coaches for their kids, you know, are you just interested in how good a tennis player my kid is? Or are you interested in how good a human being they become? Right. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because earlier, you know, I was just having a similar discussion with two of the students, you know, that, that are uh, committed to college and, you know, they'll, they'll be gone in the next six months and everything graduating out of my program. Right. But, you know, we were going, you know, back to the beginning of, you know, when the assessment starts, I'm, I'm not only assessing, you know, the student and the parent, but in my mind, do I want, you know, that particular individual in my life for a minimum of five hours every single day? So the parents may be interviewing me, which is great but I'm also interviewing them. Yeah. Where most, where most coaches or academies or clubs, you know, they're taking on anyone and everyone and get more kids and everything. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm looking at this as, you know, this is an investment of my life for a given amount of hours into that particular individual. Right. And is it going to be a working relationship? Right. And then I'm always assessing the parents to see how they operate with their child or children, right? And then I can then assess how to coach that individual or individuals, right? What what works for them, right? right? Everybody is coming from different backgrounds, right? And so, you know, and like I said, you're always trying to get the most out of each student, right? And so I believe that's such a crucial element to the coaching is, you know, how, how it is in the house. How is the parenting? What really is the situation here? Right. And so those are things that I'm looking at. So in the Todd Whittem way of doing things, talent ID is not limited to how well a kid hits a tennis ball. 
Talent ID is not limited to how fit a kid is. Talent ID is not limited to a kid's size or potential potential size. It also includes personality. It includes how a kid interacts with the other people in the group. It includes the commitment level of the parents. It includes the type of relationships that you can see with the child. There, it's a whole package. Unlike, unlike many national governing bodies that are simply looking at the technical pieces. And I think as parents, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for the rest of the parenting aces community, but for myself, if I were looking for somebody to work with my child on a specific skill, whether it's a sport, music, school, whatever it is, I would want that person to be looking at the entirety of my child and understanding their heart, their soul, their desires, as well as understanding any physical limitations or talents that they might have. So I just want to kind of put that out there and again, kind of reinforce this notion that success at age 10, 11, 12 is not necessarily an indicator of success at 18, 20, 30. And success at 10, 11, 12 oftentimes is an indicator of a complete path change by the age of 15, 18, 25, right? Kids that have that early success and don't learn how to adapt and don't learn how to keep pushing through adversity at an early age, sometimes veer off the path completely. So let's not make these hard decisions about our kids before they've shown us who they really are and give them the opportunity to grow into themselves and develop the whole human, not just the tennis player. Absolutely. You know, there is life after tennis, right? So yes. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, we, we all love tennis and everything, but there is life after tennis and uh, you know, you gotta, like, like I always said, like I always say, you know, it has to be, everything has to have a balance and it has to be managed well. Right. And so you're, you're seeing a lot of kids and federations and, and a lot of players out there and it and it hasn't been managed well and and there's big you know problems and and roadblocks and and so you know you need you need some people that are you know really caring for your child and and understanding and the parents you know just from a coaching perspective you know from my experiences you have to be very honest from the beginning who your child is to that coach right and and what you know, what they've been through, what works for them, maybe what, what hasn't worked for them. And a lot of parents, you know, quite frankly, they're, they're they're not. So I'm figuring these things out, you know, whether, you know, there's, there's issues or, you know, or maybe there were previous issues in tennis or, or maybe issues at home issues in school, whatever it is, because a coach, I believe a great coach is going to look at all of those different things. And if they have the experience and the know-how they can still get a lot out of that child. So the parents have to be very forthcoming about 
their child, yeah. right? Which I can tell you from my experiences over 12 years that many have not been. So maybe that's good for, for me trying to be the best coach that I can, because now, you know, I've figured things out of how to help that particular individual coming from, you know, a certain type of parenting or schooling or previous coaching, you know, and, and, and so now I have the experience where maybe in my, in my first bunch of coaching years, I maybe did not. And so, you know, I had to try to figure these things out, you know, through trial and error and everything, you know, and that's how I learned on my own. Well, coaches learn and grow just like players do. So absolutely, you know, I love that you're open to getting better every day too. And you embody that mindset, you exhibit it on the court, your players pick up on that. And that's a great thing to, to model for them. Just like we as parents have to model these things. It's great when the coaches model them too. And I love that. Todd, if parents want to get in touch with you or want to find out more about what you do or bringing their kid to work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can email me at Todd at TWTennis.com. Or they can watch my almost daily show that I put on social media, right, with my students or Sunu Kwan that, that we love and we love what he's doing. Um, but, yeah, I post, you know, almost regularly Monday through Friday on Instagram or Facebook. Facebook is just my name, Todd Whittem. And then Instagram is Todd Whittem and then underscore tennis. But if you type in Todd Whittem, you will find me. So, and we'll have links yeah. to all those in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So um, if you haven't reached out to Todd before, and if you're not following him, just click on those links on our site. Todd, always a pleasure. Great to see you. We're in the same time zone for the next uh, hour or so till uh-huh. I head to central time zone. Crazy day. Um, but thanks for coming back on. And I'm sure we'll see you again very soon. All right. Thank you very much, Lisa. Season 12. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.